Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. How you doing? I'm good. It's Saturday, so I got I got kids at home, but they they should be pretty entertained. I've got I've got two people on standby. Nice. Keeping an eye out. <laughs> how, Last time, how, old are, how old are your kids? They're seven and nine. Oh, well, that, that won't keep you busy at all. Yeah. 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 Um, last time I visited Alan Berger in person, uh, he couldn't make it today, but um, he had his kids parked in front of Encanto. That's a really good movie. Have you ever watched that? That's a great movie. Um, I was just, I, I saw an amazing TikTok about that movie and how each of the siblings and their gifts represents um, different personality types. But I was almost thinking it represents different personalities for children of addiction. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of thought about it and I was, it was one of those things where I was like, I wish I should explore this further and then <laughs> got off track, <laughs> but someday. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hear inside out is a bit like that as well, right? I've not watched that, but that's about um, all the, all the different us's. Yes. You know, and Tom's always talking about the committee. That's what he calls it. The mm-hmm. kind of like uh, nego- the jockeying voices inside our heads that we need to learn. We're, we're, we learn that we're the ones listening to that committee. Um, mm-hmm. We don't need to uh, singularly identify with any one voice, including the addiction voice. Right. Right. And there's no, especially for like the movie Inside Out, there's no one, there's no wrong feeling. Right. Which speaks so much to emotional sobriety and learning how to accept that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, I, I highly recommend you check that movie out. Yeah, I will. Well, uh, just to get started, um, this is Celeste Vaughn here with us on the program. She's a certified recovery coach and author of It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. And uh, I was going to ask you first just to tell us about uh, mommy wine culture as you describe it. I, in my recovery, I went to Betty Ford. And then in IOP, um, the uh, the group that I spent the most time with were uh, it was a lot of um, housewives and mm. uh, women uh, who their 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 drug of choice was wine. And there was there was a lot of shame and there was a lot of you know I'd love for you to talk about you know uh, the culture and also um, what really stuck out to me is um, you said that you kept your sobriety secret for a year and uh, that's just a very I mean. That's very uh, breathtaking, you know, a compelling choice that you made. And uh, if you could speak to that a little bit, I think we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, yeah. Lots to talk about. Uh, So first things first, uh, when I define mommy wine culture, I am speaking to the narrative that jokes or implies that parents need wine or alcohol to cope with the challenges of raising their children. So it's not necessarily someone who happens to be a mother who happens to be drinking wine. So I think that's the distinction uh, we need to make. Uh, it's it's a very targeted message that says, my kids are the reason I drink. I, I wine because my kids wine. Um, the most, here's another one. The most expensive part of parenting is all the alcohol you need to buy. Uh, so it's a very targeted message. Um, it's a it's a problematic message in a lot of ways, which we could get into if you like, but it's also a message that many, many women identify with or even use to justify their drinking. 
Uh, and as you've probably seen, we have seen a significant increase in women's drinking in the last decade and even more so since the pandemic. And when I was writing this book, it was all about trying to understand that message, but also to understand why this mommy wine culture and this narrative identifies with so many mothers. Why is it so popular? It's a message that I myself was using to justify my own drinking. And now on the other side of it and five and a half years sober, I have to look back and say, why did I identify with it? What, how was it serving me and how can we do better? Uh, so, so that's kind of mommy wine culture and that narrative in a nutshell. Do, when you say do better, you mean do you mean do better till we can in, in our educational process we can help people kind of see through that for themselves to get help sooner. I think I mean do better in a couple of ways. Number one, as you and I both know, alcohol doesn't help or support us or aid us in parenting. Uh, we know that, but I think a lot of women when they are using alcohol to self-medicate and to cope are still working through that and still yeah. trying to figure that out. Uh, so, so that's one thing. Uh, but two, when I think about do better, it's the narrative, right? I'm a child of an alcoholic. I can't even imagine how it would feel if my father also walked around with a shirt that says, my kids are the reason I drink. It's a very problematic message for our children. It's, um, it's. I, I think we can do a lot better than that. Uh, but also when we use this message and we use it in a lot of ways to essentially pat women on the back to say, yeah, this is really hard. Mm -hmm. You know, mommy needs wine. It, 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 sometimes it's not literal at all. We're just saying parenting's really hard. I see you struggling. Right. How do we better support women what what's a better message what's the, what's a better way to support women and mm -hmm. there's a lot of things we can and should be doing societally culturally and in our own homes mm -hmm. to better be supporting women so they're not even feeling like they need something to self-medicate to cope they don't need that crutch well yeah that, that makes a lot i mean what makes sense to me about that too is you know, we're we're always looking. Uh, we we speaking as alcoholics. It's we're we're looking for those narratives that are, that are going to make you know basically put us in a decent light. So supposedly with other people, but for me, you know, it's, it's for myself. How can I see myself as as something? And you know, and so that's a it it actually makes a lot of sense. That's one of the things I like to do with my clients is help people when they think they're crazy, realize they're not crazy. That whatever their process has been has has been been very logical, actually, and very rational, in the sense that that it's it's like you know, it's like the you know, I'm an old white guy. So I mean, what's what's the narrative? What's the old standard narrative? Of an old white guy, you know. Well, I, you know, I drink so much because I work so hard. You know, mm -hmm. I'm such a such a stand up guy, and I take care of everybody, and that kind of it's still that self take care of you. Still, it's still about you deserve it. Mm -hmm. you know, and that kind of stuff. So, so it's a it's the idea of using the, what I'm thinking is the idea of using 
being a parent as as that that uh, reason for for drinking is in what if i'm if i'm dealing with the psychology of addiction i'm going like it's brilliant because it's a beautiful it's a wonderful it's a wonderful uh, aspect of people human beings taking care of each other taking care of their children and so it, it would you could really find a lot of protection behind that and 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 not in people not to i would imagine to address it harshly I think it's such an easy way to justify what could otherwise look like, like a, a harmful habit you're forming or uh, right. a way that you are separating yourself from your emotions or uh, removing yourself from the discomfort and the frustrations or even the anger that yeah. a lot of mothers can feel. Uh, and and the history is fascinating too. I mean, this this whole idea of uh, mommy needs wine mm -hmm. goes back quite a ways. Um, and it wasn't always wine. You know, you think no, about it was, it was mommy's mommy's little, little helper. Pill. Exactly. That's what, yeah, that was, that was when I was a kid. Yeah. So it's evolved over time, but since you know the Rolling Stones uh, in the decades since. We've seen alcohol um, and the alcohol industry really target women much more uh, with pink washing a lot of their labels, with really presenting themselves to uh, women as a target market. And so I think that has had an impact as well on not only mommy wine culture, but the increase in women's drinking. Yeah. What was a um, framework that you were able to lean on in your early days um, of recovery? Um, and could you talk about that? And also, um, from the math I was doing, uh, you did the pandemic sober. So congratulations mm -hmm. on that. Congratulations <laughs> on the sobriety uh, anyway. But um, yeah. Hey, what, I, did, what... I did too, Patrick. <laughs> you, know, the you don't count. I, I, I... <laughs> I had a few more years practice, but still, it was, you think that <laughs> well, was yeah, easy? you did have a few more years practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and I, I also want to go back to your question about um, not telling anybody the first year. I think uh, it all comes back to this conversation about emotional sobriety, because it's in the beginning, I wasn't emotionally sober. I was not doing anything to work that uh, that side of it, that aspect of it. I literally took drinking off the table and I white knuckled it. And my whole thought process was, I just can't drink anymore. Mm -hmm. And I did it with a lot of anger and frustration and feelings of um, a lot of frustration, but also um, like I was missing out. Dep deprivation you were being deprived absolute, of something. Yeah. absolute deprivation and like this is how i'm going to feel for the rest of my life mm -hmm. i only told two people i only told my mom and my husband and i was so afraid of digging deeper i was so yeah. afraid of all of it i i did not see myself as an alcoholic um because I saw my father's alcoholism and mine was so different. Right. Mine looks right. so different from him. So how can we right. possibly- your, your standard of measure for alcoholism right. was a completely different thing, yeah. Yeah, and that really held me back in that first year. And it wasn't until I, I literally heard somebody say 
that they were six weeks sober and they were so proud of it that I kind of had a light bulb moment that, wow, this is something we could be proud of. This is something we can embrace and lean into. And that's where I think my my journey towards emotional sobriety began was when I started having a new thought pattern around what I'm doing and what this means. And it stopped looking like deprivation. Uh, I started to see it for what it really was, which was liberation. But um, you were moving towards something instead of just away from something. Yeah, Yes, exactly. That's so well said. Um, And I want to talk about the pandemic too, because that had such an imperative moment on my emotional sobriety too. Um, When I when the pandemic hit, a friend of mine started the Sober Mom Squad, which is a recovery community. And I helped her kind of create that. And uh, we started hosting meetings. And through that group, I found community. And that's something that I had never had prior in my sober journey either. Yeah. Uh, so the pandemic and the, the results of the pandemic help me build my own sober tools and helped me chart this sober journey uh, and and get stronger as a result. Uh, mm-hmm. When we started doing the meetings, when I started meeting other people, other moms who were just like me and um, and I was I started hosting and I really began to embrace this side and this, component of sobriety in a way that I never could have without a community. So mm-hmm. yeah, there was that was a huge impactful part of this journey. And I'm I'm so grateful. I'm not so grateful for the pandemic, but I'm so grateful of some yeah. of the things that came out of it. No, yeah, it's you're, very you're you're in, you're in good company with us. We, we, yeah. This our whole our whole process and, and organization here has come out of the pandemic mm-hmm. because we've been working together a little bit before that. But but Alan, Alan came right out at the beginning of that and said, we need to do some stuff online. And, and we've been, we've been plowing ahead with that ever, ever since we've done two podcasts, we've done video series. We, we do this Thursday night group. It's like, mm-hmm. none of that would be, you know, now, now personally, I, I always, I always point out that personally the pandemic was fine for me because I'm a complete introvert and, and, and have no interest in, in talking to other people. So, so I was happy to just sit here and live on my farm, but it's like, in terms of making that connection to community, which, you know, which the way you described that is, is it helps us remember that not, not drinking is just walking through the doorway into this mm-hmm. thing. It's, 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 you know, I, I've said for decades that, you know, it's about drinking, but it's not, it's about alcohol, but it's not about alcohol and it's, and it's about drugs. It's not about drugs because, because it really is. That's just, that's just the, the, the doorway. And the rest of it's about how to, how to live your life in a way that, uh, and, and, you know, and I, and I love emotional sobriety process coming out because I've often wondered what do people do who aren't addicts like us? You know, it's like, we, we I always, after a while, I thought I have an advantage because I, because I'm a, I'm a drunk. And, mm-hmm. and so I had, I get, you know, I basically was, was tossed into a place where I needed to deal with this stuff, but uh, emotional sobriety is something that's here for all of us. The experience of making, keeping and losing friends through recovery. Um, and I'm sure there were some drinking friends that you may have had to leave behind as I did. What was that like? When I quit drinking, that was one of my biggest fears was what does this mean for friendships? 
what will people think? Uh, but what I've learned is sobriety is one of the best friendship filters you can find because your true friends um, mm-hmm. go right on through that filter. Right. Uh, it's the drinking buddies that get trapped in the f- <laughs> and they never come through to the other side. And that's just and you're, fine. So, did, you, did you find also I did. You're surprised about sometimes who comes through. Totally. Oh, it's shocking. Like, sometimes it was the opposite of what I thought. You know, I thought, well, I'll never see that guy again. Exactly. Like, 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 not so. He's still with me, you know, all these days with me today. You know, it's like and some people just disappear. I'm sure and, I was that guy to somebody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's fascinating when you see who who shines through and which relationships were completely sustained through alcohol use and alcohol mm-hmm. habits and which actually had more to them and more depth than I gave them credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other mm-hmm. fascinating side of it, of course, is when you stop drinking, you see other people's drinking habits and sometimes they're not nearly what you thought they were. No, and, no, and they talk so fucking loud. It's like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's seeing it from the outside is is a is a whole education into itself, isn't it? It's hard to it's hard to watch people drink heavily now and find any sort of nostalgia for it. Right. Um, in fact, most of the time I just kind of cringe thinking about how many times I was probably that person. Yeah. I still feel haunted a bit by that. Um mm. Well, um, the work of becoming more emotionally sober after you become physically sober, what is that looking like for you these days? I, myself, I, I do 12-step groups and I do therapy um, and there's a lot of work to be done. I'm, I'm about to start couples therapy with uh, my girlfriend who lives with me. She moved in. We met in the rooms of AA and you know, uh, we're working things out. This, this is like our first grown-up relationship. And so uh, mm-hmm. we're making a lot of the first types of mistakes with each other. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of, um, I think I, I started using when I was 17 and it really, it arrested a lot of my emotional development and, uh, a lot of the work in, in recovery has been continuing the process that was stunted, uh, oh, when I was a teenager. So, um, yeah, how's it been for you? I, I so agree with what you just said. I think that's been one of the hardest parts of, recovery and the recovery journey is kind of having to pick back up where you left off, which for me was probably as a teenager. Uh, if I, if, if I am kind of at the emotional intelligence of whatever it is, a 16 or 17 year old, that's a lot of years that I got to work back towards. Um, and I think about in parenting, um, it's a very emotionally dysregulating job. Uh, for me, mm-hmm. motherhood has been far more dysregulating I, than I ever imagined. Um, and my job, first and foremost, as a mother, is to try to remain emotionally regulated when my kids aren't. And for me, that might be the hardest part of parenting because I'm bad at it. <laughs> And I give a lot of the blame of that it, to being emotionally stunted for so long through alcohol use. Um, and yet that is probably the hardest thing I work on in my recovery is learning 
mindfulness techniques to stay calm, to stay present, to stay in my body, to not burst out. And it's such a work in progress. And it's, it's something that I feel like I take three steps forward and two steps back all the time in, because every time I feel like I'm making progress, something happens and I just go from zero to 60, just like that. And, and then I get so angry because it's like, I thought I was growing. (laughs) Calm, present in your body. And then the one you didn't put a word to, but that you demonstrated was humility. The one you said that you, when you when you can sit there at the end of that and and acknowledge that. Uh, oh, and by the way, after the, after I do I do this for a little while, I fuck it up entirely, and then I'm and, I, and, I, and I'm upset with myself about doing that. So yeah. you know, it's go okay. To me, that's that that's emotional sobriety because that's accepting what's the truth in the moment. Because that's emotional sobriety is being in re- reality, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's just what it is. It's it's not emotional. So often people do this thing. Uh, I hear it in our group or this Thursday group, emotional sobriety is like being co- cool, calm, and collected. It's like no, it's not. It's just being in touch with the truth, you know. So I'm yeah. if I'm a fucking basket case, then that's that's my emotional sobriety as long as I can own it and take responsibility for it. And that's what you're talking about with this uh, emotional. And what a powerful thing to say about parenting, emotionally dysregulating. No shit. Mm-hmm. I'm not a parent, but uh, but that sounds like that. I bet, I bet you can't find a parent who can't identify with that. That's beautiful. It really is such a, a roller coaster of emotions. Uh, I mean, talk about when you talk about control, and we talk about control and sobriety a lot. You only have control over your own actions and your own thoughts. Uh, we can't control our children, um, not nearly as much as uh, some might think. And when you have to, when you let go of that and you recognize, I, I don't have a lot of control here. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the best I can, but at the end of the day, all I have control over is how I respond or react to what is happening before me, it is humbling. Mm -hmm. It can be extremely frustrating, but as parents, it can also be pretty powerful. When you're a mother or a father, you can set the emotional tone in the house. In -hmm. fact, I do all the time, even when I don't mean to. If I am having oh, well let me just let me just talk that's happening all the time any of us can talk about immediately you you throw me back into an ab reaction of growing up in the house with my mother who set the mm-hmm. emotional tone in the house constantly there was only one tone and it was what her tone was it's like you're going to whether you like like that or not you're going to contribute to it or not so you might as well be conscious of it and take responsibility Well, and that's it. I mean, that's it exactly. So if I have some control over setting the emotional tone in the household, I need to work on that. Like that is not something I'm just going to throw away. And when I was drinking early in my parenting experience, that was one of the biggest reasons I knew I had to quit was because when I was drinking, I was as unregulated as dysregulated as I, I could possibly be and my children needed consistency they needed uh 
calmness. They needed routine and structure. And I wasn't giving them any of that. No, I don't know how you can be a heavy drinker. I just, I don't think it's possible. Uh, so that was one of the reasons I, I knew I had to quit. And that is something that even in my sobriety, I will always be working on because oh. it's hard. It's hard well, when you're stunted emotionally yeah. from growing up with drinking. It's hard when you are a child of an alcoholic. The only thing we can control is ourselves. Uh, and, and you, and you, and you describe the two places we can do that. And sometimes I think people make the mistake of forgetting the second one. The one is how I behave. The other is how I think, uh, and how I interpret the world around me. That, 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 that was the, that, that was the, one of the biggest light bulbs in the world for me to, to know that I could actually make conscious choices about how to reinterpret what the world is to me. I could make new decisions about that because that's the only way we can change ourselves and that therefore and the only way we can actually have impact on others around us is by influence not control mm -hmm. and so and and i you know and i and i just i didn't not being a parent i had not ever thought about it in those terms until you were just talking about that i'm going like okay so i so i go around saying that about adults with other adults all the time but i'm sitting there going like okay so if i'm a parent and all of a sudden and you know with little ones i'm supposed to control them you know, that's the language we have. It's it's like, you know, and the idea that you have to go that so deep down to realize this is another human being that I do not control. You know, it's 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 first of all, it's so powerfully respectful of the child, which is what what hit what hit me right in the chest is like, yeah, because the child the child has to has to re respond to whatever it is you're doing. You know, and you can control them, I guess, by, you know, be, by, you know, my mom could control us by being in her mood and go behind the, the door and close the door and all of us would get very quiet and not cause any trouble. So I guess that's control, but it's really just influence. And, and, uh, um, wow, I kind of got lost in my own thinking about that, but that's wonderful. Well, Celeste, um, in recovery at, at this stage or over the last year, I've been working a lot on and thinking about perfectionism and, um, and not very well either, by the way. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> wandering through it. Yeah. But, uh, um, how do you rate or what's your, been your experience, like raising the bar on yourself in recovery when it comes to motherhood, but doing so in a way that's loving towards yourself and not this corrosive perfectionism that we can sometimes get in the habit of doing that like paradoxically it stifles um regrowth and it stifles um you know the uh healing and evolution of relationships um what do you think oh god i mean that's such a good question you know i think sometimes and i say this sometimes in my recovery meetings too Sometimes the only right thing I did at the end of each day is that I didn't drink, mm. you know, and yeah. I, I say that in parenting too. Like sometimes it feels, it can feel like such a failure of a day. All I have going to bed that night is just, at least I didn't drink, mm -hmm. you know, and um, because it's such a freaking roller coaster. And when you are with littles and all, all you have is that to influence, to not control. Mm -hmm. um, it can be so frustrating. And uh, when your children make choices that are harmful or have consequences. Or scare the hell out of you. Or scare the hell out of you. Mm -hmm. It can feel like 
control. I mean, not only is control out the window, but my, my head can go to very dark places in terms of intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. Uh, like where, where will the, where will we be in 10 years? Where will we be in five years? Mm -hmm. Like, um, I have so many of these challenges with my oldest son because, um, we have behavior issues from a very early age. And I'll tell you a story. Uh, this was right before I quit drinking. It was probably a month before I quit drinking. My son was only three, but we were having phone calls from his daycare saying he's having behavior issues. He's hitting other kids. He's being defiant. We went to the doctor and we told him what was going on. And the doctor told me, well, he's three, there's nothing we can do. We'll just take a wait and see approach. And of course, as a mom, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not leaving here until you give me some, mm. some way forward. Like, tell me what, what I, what I can do. And the doctor said to me, he says, kids like this, they need stability. They need routine. They need structure. That's what your child needs right now. That's what you can do. And wow. I, Ugh. in my stomach, I mean, you might've, you might as well punch me in the stomach yeah. because wow. I am not giving him any of those three with my drinking. Mm -hmm. That so when I think back on that moment with the doctor and I think about where I am now, I'm giving him what I possibly can. I'm giving him mm -hmm. stability. I'm giving him a structured environment. I'm giving him routine and I'm giving him a present mother. And sometimes that's that's just all I can do. That's, that's what you have. That's, that's what we got. Have. Yeah. Oh wow! When you say, yeah, I even for, even from this distance, I could feel the the gut punch when when you describe what the doctor said to you. I can't even imagine what that must have felt like at that time. But also, the the also kudos to you because you know, I'd be, you know the three of us all knowing what it's like to be uh, you know good old fashioned alcoholics in denial is is like you you let that through. You know, it's your mm -hmm. kid mattered to you so much. Your child mattered to you so much. You let that through because, because man, there's a lot of people who could said a lot of things to me over a long period of time that should have, should have hit me right in the, the gut. And I just walked right past them, you know? So, I, so I, 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 I admire that. I admire that you, you, at that, in that moment in time, you were, you were being the, the, you were being the, the exact right kind of parent your, your child needed to, it was to listen to that doctor and feel terrible about yourself. Yeah. I had plenty of those moments too, where I just, you know, passed it by, but yeah. that was one that cut deep. Yeah. Uh, that was one I knew I had to listen to because I was, I was desperate. I felt helpless. Yeah. And all I could think is if that's the only thing I can do right now, that's what I've got to do. Yeah. What was the experience of writing the book like, the experience making it, and uh, how it sits with you on the other side? Yeah, this book has changed so much. It's probably been, I've been working on this book for five years. And I say that as some, somebody who's five and a half years sober, mm -hmm. uh, because after I hit one year sober and I started writing about my sobriety, because up until then, I didn't do any writing about it. Mm -hmm. Um when I started writing about it, I started blogging about it. And I had an agent at the time 
who was helping me put together a book proposal for a totally different book. But when she saw my first post on my sobriety, she called me and she said, we have to put the other book to the side because Mm -hmm. this is your book. Mm -hmm. And it was from that moment that I started thinking about it in terms of what do I want to talk about? What do I want to write about? And I started kind of putting this book proposal together and that took forever. And then the pandemic hit and everything got put on halt. The proposal, the concept, me writing it, my eyes were even more open to you know emotional sobriety. Uh, with the start of Sober Mom Squad, with building friendships around recovery, uh, with learning how to uh, be in these support communities to help each other, to support each other, to uh, connect with each other, and to mentor each other. Um, When you read the book, you'll see it's a big part of my book now. Uh, what happened at the pandemic, you know, you, you guys were there. You were there at the time. You saw what happened where recovery meetings shut down overnight. The only thing that seemed to stay open was liquor stores. And they even expanded their services. There was drive throughs now and uh, delivery. delivery services. And, you know, I saw people I knew uh relapse during this time. I I know one person who uh, died as a result. And we saw statistically that a lot of people overdosed or relapsed during that time. Mm -hmm. It was a really scary time. So when we were in these sober mom squad meetings and having these conversations with their mothers, uh, mothers particularly, who all of a sudden now we're homeschooling our children, all of a sudden now uh, we're taking on these other mental burdens um, and it it was all consuming. It was terrifying in so many ways. And um, building a bridge to support mothers during that time in a way that it seemed like nobody else could or were mm-hmm. um, was such a gift uh, for me as much as anyone else that became a huge part of the book process. <laughs> so by the time that we started uh, picking back up on the book and moving forward, I had to change the book completely. Uh, <laughs> the, the title of the book, it's not about the wine. The, initially, the, the name of the book was going to be called Mommy Needs Wine. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we changed the book because that it was during the pandemic that I realized, oh, my God, you know, this isn't about wine. You know, my wine culture is not about wine. It's about mothers who feel like they are so sunk neck deep in doing anything and everything. They feel undersupported. They feel undervalued. And they're using alcohol to cope because they literally have nothing else. Um, so that in a nutshell, that's kind of how it came full circle to, um, the, being the book it needed to be 
but it took it's, a long it's, time. It's to interesting get you say that because what I've what I've discovered through the years is that some people will think that uh, you know I'm, I'm, we're going to become an expert on something and then we're going to write a book about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 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 you know in every case with me with every book I've ever written it, it's like it's I've, it's just been an immersive experience in being in that subject matter, and 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 I don't know how I don't know how the universe works I don't know but there's more there's more to it than just me writing down little words in a in a notebook but it's like uh i hear that with you it's, it's like it's 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 an organic process that we get to participate in but it, you know part of our job is is to hold a loose grip so that it can become exactly what it needs to be and uh, and there are so many you know there's so much more we know at the end of of the process you know and i always i don't know if you found this or not but i find i'll, I'll go i don't even i'll say something i know something about fear after written the fear book is is the idea i'll go i don't even know if it's in the book or not I, because i just know mm -hmm. i know it because i i experienced it during the writing process it's just and that's that's first of all it's the most joyous way to write i think and uh yeah so you were already you were already a writer Mm -hmm. I was a motherhood writer for several years before I quit drinking cool. and uh, it it took me a whole year before I started being vocal about my sobriety to mm -hmm. my followers and and writers and my book was supposed to be a motherhood you know the the irony in all this that first book was called it was going to be called the ultimate mom challenge and it was my year-long journey of efforts towards becoming a better mother Mm -hmm. And the same month that that year long journey ended was the month I quit drinking. I mean, that that's when <laughs> the real journey started, but <laughs> I didn't know that at the time, but yeah. it's just, you know, it's so funny how our higher power has a way of yeah. laughing when we try to make plans. <laughs> oh, uh, well, yeah. And, and, and the only, the only, the only accurate insight is hindsight. You know, we're mm -hmm. always trying to have hindsight in the moment and then we think we know what's going on when it's happening. It's like, no, we don't. It's like you look back and you go, oh, that's, oh, I see how that worked. It's like, you know, we look at the timeline. Let's, Everything yeah. was meant to be the way it all came out. Um, yeah. But beautiful. Yeah. It's in hindsight, it all, it all is 2020. It makes perfect sense. Sounds like an essential reading. And um, I just thought I would uh, ask about your family and their role in your recovery. And I would imagine that, you know, this, it, it's, this is your work. It's your living as well as, you know, um, your, um, your personal recovery process. And like, how has it been kind of wearing all those things on the outside and kind of workshopping it, you know, where everyone can see. And I'd imagine that that's helpful is integrating them completely into, you know, your journey back to um, stability. Yeah. I mean, they're, they've been involved obviously every step of the way because they've been with me every step of the way. Mm -hmm. um, my husband, you know, he still drinks. Uh, he is a normie in, in every sense, but um those people are weird, man. I know my mom too. That they just <laughs> they confuse the heck out of me. But um, but by the way, though, Celeste, they're fascinating. It's like I love to. My hobby is interviewing people like that. I go, I go like, okay, so you can have a drink. And the ice could melt in the drink. You could get distracted from the drink by a conversation and you could walk away from the drink with alcohol still in the glass. And they go, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you go like, wow. It's like, you're like the, you're like the Jane Goodall of uh, normies. <laughs> I, 
it reminds me watching other people drink makes me feel like I'm watching animals on animal planet, like just like, whoa, <laughs> what are they yes, doing? It's, like, it's weird. Is- I know. <laughs> um, it's so true, but <laughs> I um it was a process because as you can imagine, when I first quit drinking, I was still so stuck up in this. I don't know what I'm doing. I know I'm my father, so I'm just going to quit and pretend like this is nothing, right? We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to think about it. Uh, I'm just not going to drink. And as a result, I think I really undermined the potential to support. I know I did uh, from even my mom and husband who knew I wasn't drinking, but they didn't truly understand why. They didn't Mm -hmm. know about the secrets. They didn't know how much I was really drinking at that point. Um, and, you know, obviously if I could do it all over again, I, I would have done it so differently because I needed that support in those early months. Mm-hmm. And I did not, uh, and knowing what I know now, it would have made those early days so much easier. Uh, now, you know, it's something that I love to talk about, especially with my children. Um, it's important for me to talk about because I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody talked about the elephant in the room. We just, mm-hmm. we just covered it up and we hid it as a family secret. And I, I want to do it different. You know, I want to have these conversations with my kids. Yeah, uh, my son was going to drink something I was drinking, and he says wait, this doesn't have alcohol in it, right? And I was like, I'm so glad you asked, but no, it doesn't have alcohol. And he says, yes, because mom doesn't drink alcohol. And my mom said, and do you guys know why mom doesn't drink alcohol? And my, this is my seven-year-old. He goes, because she was addicted. (laughs) And it was, (laughs) I was so proud of that because I want them to know. I want them to know um, that, Yes, mommy, like still their mom, and I'm they still think I'm cool. I'm sure that'll change mm-hmm. soon. But, mm-hmm. um, and I wasn't <laughs> able to safely drink alcohol, but they also see their daddy who does safely drink yeah, it. Yeah, and yeah. I want them to understand the distinction, I want them to yeah. grow up knowing that they can talk to me about this stuff. No, yeah. co- no topic is off the table. I love I love that. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a client yesterday that is a young man that I've worked with off and on for years, and he grew up uh, as a child of recovering alcoholics. So so his whole life it was it was it was it was his whole life was was surrounded by recovery and really almost paranoid fear for his his alcohol and drug relationship. And so one of the things that when I, I started working with him as a young man as a as a, a young tw- in his twenties. It's like he he went regularly to AA meetings, but he had no history to indicate that he was an alcoholic. You know, he, he never yeah. he, he it had just been assumed, and so so it was an it was it was a bizarre and interesting experience for me as well because I'd never had somebody that basically showed up in, in you know in full recovery that I wasn't even sure 
even match the criteria for the for the for the diagnosis i mean i knew that i knew that you know as, as my old sponsor used to say 12 steps of recovery only one of them mentions alcohol the rest of them are about how to be a better person the 12 steps ain't gonna hurt anybody but uh it that i love the idea that your your kids get this this uh this way of of seeing things in in this your the microcosm of your family of of what we need to know about and in the in the bigger world that it's not that that, that the alcohol is not the problem the people it's the it's it's me plus alcohol it's me me plus tequila that's the problem not not tequila or me it's yeah. like that's that's what that is and that's what your kids know that's cool and they get to see both sides of it i love that they get to see both sides of it i love that yeah. they see um they 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 see my husband who can drink one or two and i love that they see somebody who doesn't have any um yeah. and no they know that you can go to social gatherings and you don't need alcohol to have fun like they they get to see that you still participate in life without um constant drinks in your hand which mm -hmm. thing that i never grew up seeing um and i think it's a a nice perspective that not a lot of children see because alcohol is in all of our social gatherings right now. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a unique perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, do you, what do you see as like the future of, of your career or um, of the, um, the club and um, you know, your recovery coaching, which I didn't even get a chance to ask about like how that's been going. Yeah, so I actually just became a recovery coach in the last year, uh, and I, I I see that being more integrated with Sober Mom Squad, with offering group coaching mm -hmm. opportunities, um, but I also really wanted to use my learning and uh, what I got from my coaching experience to help in my writing. Uh, I do a lot of writing right now um, on sobriety and recovery. And I've always kept it to strictly my experience, mm -hmm. but I would love to evolve uh, what I'm reading about to be more from a coach's perspective, to be mm -hmm. with more of a knowledge base around uh, tips and advice and uh, what we can do to support our loved ones. That's probably the most common question I get asked is mm -hmm. how to support a loved one who's struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, and how can I do that uh, in a responsible and useful way? Um, mm -hmm. So that that was a lot of what, what took me there. Uh, but I, I definitely see more of that. But I, I also, I'm not totally sure. I don't know what, mm -hmm. what's next for me. I feel like motherhood kind of uh, is, it, it just shakes me up. Um, all the time anyway, that it's hard for me to kind of gauge a direction what I want to go now, now that this book is out in the world. Mm -hmm. Would you say that when you found recovery, it was the desire to be a better mother? Was that the main driving force, would you say? 100%. In fact, I, I, what I say now is my kids are the reason I quit drinking, but I'm the reason I stay sober. As we grow in our sobriety, mm -hmm. uh, our why can change. And as we learn the why, why we were drinking in the first place, it can right. help us better understand and develop those coping tools. Uh, so we, we don't, we don't need 
a, a crutch or a coping mechanism that's destructive. Uh, and we do have healthier ways to do it. I wish you well in, in uh, your coaching thing, because, you know, and I just, you know, identify with that because I mean, of all the things that I've written in my life, you know, a lot of it has to do with me, but, but it's like, those those wonderful clients who who trusted me and shared with me they're the ones that they're the ones that have given me so much information and material and, and educated me about you know you're going to discover is is you know you you know this but then you're going to discover everybody's not like me every people are right way different from me it's and it's and it's, it's fascinating thanks for being here and and thanks for writing the the book and uh stay you know stay in touch with us and if, if we can if we can do anything to you know, just help spread the word about what you're doing. You know, that's what, that's what all of this is about, but we're just one, one big community. I appreciate that. Obviously this is a, a podcast I could have used uh, in my early sobriety mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. and it's certainly one I can use now too, because as you know, it's a journey, not a destination. So I'm so glad mm-hmm. you are uh, speaking about it, educating us on it and exploring it further because uh it's and i will always want to know more on and i'm sure everyone um, else in recovery can say the same tinge your life tinge your myth cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with then with glass in hand and children on one knee bring some stories bring your stories back to me It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me.